Hi, everybody. This is Marley with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm good. This is my first show in 2021. And I, and I know I mentioned it before, but I actually moved to North Florida. And you'll see by my background that I'm in a... my Well, my office is more or less the same, but I'm just further up and I haven't hung up any pictures. And all I've got is Scooby-Doo, okay? Because, <laughs> let's face it, I'm sure most people that are into the paranormal, okay, were a fan of Scooby-Doo when they were growing up. You know, those darn kids. So anyway, yeah, uh, later on, you know, as we go along, I'll tell you more about my adventures in moving land, which I hope never to repeat, especially with everything that's gone on. It's like, oh, what? let's pick the best time to move to a new city. Hmm. Let's see, with a pandemic, what else? What else can we throw in there to make it difficult? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like, all right, yeah, I, I did something like that. But let's get to the good part, guys. Let's, let's get to who my guest is today. This lady has been here before, okay? She is an author, but of course, her books have to do with, you guessed it, my favorite, favorite favorite thing which is the paranormal and ghost and we're going to talk about her books and also a new one that she's got coming up and my guest is Rebecca Pittman how are you doing today Rebecca I am awesome Marlene thank you for having me back I didn't know I was your first guest of 2021 yes I I I got like I was telling you everything happens so rapidly that the usually I don't um I don't have any guests on December because the holidays, usually everybody's crazy and they're doing so. Normally I slowed down, but it was like, forget it. I had to, I said, I'm pulling my hair out. I cannot juggle trying to interview guests while I'm trying to pack things. So I just uh, basically moved everybody over to 2021 and said, I will recontact you. And here we are. So well, I appreciate it. I enjoyed um, talking with you last time. No, it's great. It's great, and believe me, it is a pleasure to talk to somebody that uh, like yourself, which uh, loves not only the paranormal, you know, the ghosts, but the stories that are associated. Because a lot of the times, you know, um, the thing about uh, the paranormal and ghosts is the ghost stories. In other words, you sometimes it's not a question of proving whether it's real or it's not. It's just the historical aspect of what's going on um with you know like like you know if like i believe you the last one you told me that you already wrote was about salem is that right yes and that came out last fall the history and haunting of of uh, salem the witch trials and beyond okay because i always thought because i've been to salem a couple of times and, you know, everybody focuses just strictly on the Salem witch trials. But I'm thinking there had to have been something that happened once the dust settled, in other words. Like, what happened with all these people that stayed living there in Salem? And then afterwards, you know, they... they... Well, it's interesting because there's, there's kind of a love-hate relationship in Salem for... You know any th- topics to do with witchcraft the obviously the tourist dollars are nice to have oh yeah but you're very cognizant of the fact that 19 people were hung and one man mm-hmm. crushed to death and several others died in jail during this period 
And so it's, you know, the, to, for the town to turn around and also watch it turned into a hocus pocus, you know, kind of a carnival atmosphere, right. is, it's hard. And I get it. And I walked that line um, when I wrote the book because I interviewed the leading experts in mm-hmm. Salem. And I really wanted to handle this with good taste, with feelings and sensitivity. There's a lot of descendants of the victims that still live around there. Really? Yep. So that that was very important to me. And mm-hmm. there were times while I was writing that I was crying um, over the things that happened to these people. It was just awful. Yes, yes. And, and you know, one would think, how could this have happened? You know, when you look at it through modern lenses or perspectives, Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to think that young girls, teenagers, I guess, or preteens could drive basically people to the point of execution because that's really what ended up happening. It did. And it was it was almost a perfect storm of events. I think it would be hard to recreate it today, but maybe mm-hmm. not. I mean, look what we've been seeing recently with rioting and one yeah. thing inciting another. Yes. I don't think it's impossible that it could happen again today in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what got to me the most was that the girls uh, actually admitted later that they'd done it for sport. You know, These that's the part were, they never, you they know, were dead. What? I'm glad you brought that up because whenever I've seen any documentary about the uh, Salem witch trials, it does everything from the beginning and who the people were accused and the girls, and then it stops. They never include that what you just said right now. Well, actually, Ann Putnam, many, many years later, finally got up in front. Oh, this is what it kills me. She got up in front of the congregation where some of the relatives were sitting of Rebecca Nurse and Mary Eastie and some of these people that um, she had cried out against and were now dead and said, she apologized and said, we made it up. Wow. Can you imagine sitting there and looking at this woman who's now tw- in her early 20s, I believe she was 21 when she finally confessed to it, mm-hmm. but she was one of the more prolific of the accusers. I think there were over 400 statements with her name on it. Wow. Um, She went after a lot of people. Let me ask you, do you think, is there any truth to what I've heard that part of it was spurred because these people that were accused and executed, they were forfeiting their properties? Well, uh, that came after, but yeah. um, The thing is, is what I believe is that a lot of adults were whispering names into these girls' ears. Once this took off... Yeah. Um, and they realized people were actually listening to these girls and mm-hmm. being brought before magistrates. They started giving them names of people that they'd had land disputes with that they just plain didn't like. Um, Sarah Good was pretty much a, um, she'd had a bad reputation in the town. Sarah Osborne was the same thing. She was kind of a beggar that got on everybody's nerves. Mm-hmm. And so they were getting rid of the people that it initially weren't going to be missed a whole lot. But then it graduated to, like I said, these were people that their parents had had disputes with. Where the land acquisition came in was good old Sheriff Corrin, Mm-hmm. Once you were accused and found guilty, you were allowed to go in and take their property. Wow. What he did, though, 
was as soon as they were thrown in jail, before they'd even had a trial, he saddled up and rode in with a cart and uh, would take away everything they had. With the Proctors, John and Elizabeth Proctor were both accused and jailed at the same time. They had nine kids at home. Sheriff Corwin rode in and took all their oxen, all their sheep, all the food out of the pantry, dumped the broth out of the copper kettle, took the kettle. I mean, wow. this, these people, in fact, um, Giles Corey actually tried to sidestep it by putting things in a will so that if he did get jailed, Corwin couldn't come and take his property. Right. I heard something like that, that he tried to. It was, it was unbelievably cold. I, and the part, though, I don't understand is that all these leaders of the community, all these magistrates, all these people that had power, nobody said, whoa, what, what's, what's going on here? You know? Well, that's the problem. When these magistrates were not lawyers, um, right. they were clergymen. Back then, Harvard was turning out ministers and, right. and medical people. They were, Harvard was, did not, was not a law school yet. Mm -hmm. And so these guys really didn't know what they were doing. They were flying by the seat of their pants, and there was no charter at that time. Um, that, that literally, Massachusetts was flying without any government, without any rules. Right. And so that's, I mean, like I said, it was a perfect storm. By the time the charter finally came back and they had the, the law in their hands, all these people had already hung. And so it's just it's just a devastating devastating time. I think if it would only have taken pivoting one of those pieces, that this it might not have happened. But as it was, oh, yeah. it all came together. Right. I, I, and you think about all they would have had is needed is just one person in authority to stop it. To say well, and the thing that that I think people forget because we don't, we're not that way today. Back then they absolutely positively believed in the devil and witches. Oh yeah. 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 That's, this that, was that's, not that's... a stretch of the imagination for them. They believed if your cow died, either somebody gave it the evil eye right, or you had done something to displease God and the devil had come in. But they totally believed in witches. So when you're looking at that mindset, it wasn't far-fetched for these um, magistrates and others to have these women come in and just start saying, why are you afflicting these girls? They, they had no doubt in their mind that they had the power to do that. Right. And, but at the same time, you always think of, you always think that in those times, what was that saying, you know, children were seen and not heard that. Um, that they would they give so much power to them, heard. right? Like, how could how yeah. could these children be? Let's. I'm sure they were considered children. Wield so much power, so much believability that nobody, or like you said, that somewhere along the line, some person, whether it was unethical or moral or unchristian, like you said, there's you know they they they're believing because of that's a religious community about the devil and temptation and sin and witches. That nobody said, wow, this is very unchristian-like. This is, we're basically accusing innocent people of doing things. And, uh, but yeah, that, that, it is a very disturbing thing. What was it? I know there was one moment, some, who was it that was named that all of a sudden it just brought it to a screeching halt? Who was the person? Was it a woman? 
Oh, yeah, finally, go Governor Phipps' wife was named. <laughs> okay, and that was, the it governor was said, what? The end. In <laughs> fact, it was, yeah, right, right toward the end, but by then, 150 people were in jail, wow. and, and, Several, well, 19 of them had been executed, and then all of a sudden, when the governor's wife got named, it was okay. I think we're done here. And what did they do with it? They let go of the people that were jailed? They did. You know, the thing that was interesting to me was Tituba, mm -hmm. um, who was the first one named, the black slave that worked for um, Reverend Paris. She was in jail the longest. She was the first to go in and the last to go out. Wow. She was in there for over a year. In those conditions, I mean, freezing in the yes. winter and sweltering in the summer and just this fetid conditions with, you know, putrid straw, rats. It was, I don't, it's amazing. Um, but she was like the last to be let out. And in what fact, happened? somebody they, they ever... came along and bought, bought her to... Um, work for them. They paid her fees and uh, they let her go. But I couldn't. I can't believe being in there for over a year. It's incredible. She she survived. Yeah, yeah, she did. She was actually fairly smart. Yeah. Well, she. I hate to say it, but in a way, um, it was almost like she. Even though she, I, I believe she said she had done something. It was like she was. She could. Basically, say I was led along. I, I, you know, I was, I was, you know, convinced by the dark forces. In other words, it was like, okay, she, she can get out. Just like the these girls that were being afflicted, it was like they're young and innocent. They couldn't be lying, kind of deal. Right. Well, the thing that was that's very, very, very important is there came a very key turning point very early on. The, the two girls that started out were the daughter and niece of Reverend Paris, and here it is in the Reverend's home that this first breaks out. And what's interesting to me is when, when Betty and Abigail started exhibiting these strange symptoms of barking like a dog and flying, pretending they're flying around the room and throwing hot pieces or uh, pieces of firewood from the fireplace and all of that, it started out with what afflicts thee. Here's mm -hmm. the turning point. It suddenly went from what to who. Yeah. That is the absolute turning point of this whole thing. The minute Reverend Paris and the other adults took them seriously and said who, you yeah. can almost see the girls go, hmm. um, and I think little Betty cried out for Tituba because Tituba was very close to her. Their own, her own mother, Elizabeth, was always sick. And I think Tituba read the little girl stories, you know, right. told her right. stories, sung to her at night. She cared for her. Right, right. I don't think she was accusing her. I think she was crying out to her. And Tituba had just made a witch cake to try to figure out uh, who the witch was that was afflicting them and... I think partly Betty yelled out to Tituba in angu anguish that, why did you make the witch cake? Right. So Tituba was the first one accused. And then from then on, it grew. The next, is, they said, who else do you see? Is it Sarah Osborne? Is oh, it yeah. Sarah Good? They right. started feeding them names. Right. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, yeah, that's who I saw. Yeah, that's the, and then it went from there. Wow.
But and if they hadn't said, who afflicts thee, I don't know that this would have gone as far as it did. Right. They would have... They, and, I, and I wonder if uh, these girls, at some point, it was when it was too far along for them to backpedal on it. Right. Because then... Which, I'm curious, the one that later on that they admitted, what were there any repercussions against them? Or it was like, okay, well... Thanks for letting us know that you guys basically sent people to their death. No, there was no repercussion. And the thing that's interesting to me is when these girls are writhing around on the floor during the trials and claiming that, and, you know, showing that they've got pins sticking in their skin and, you know, saying her specter flew in and pinched me, they were precariously close to being called witches themselves. That's the I mean, part I always manifesting wonder about. these strange symptoms, and yet none of the magistrates turned and accused them of being witches. Right. I always wondered about that. I'm thinking, I'm wondering that none of, like you said, the preachers or the magistrates or anybody said, you know, are is it because you're a witch yourself? Is that, you know, the devil is inflicting this on you or some kind of thing? Yeah. Um, well, they did start to turn on each other. One of them was, was saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And she was going to go tell. And the oh, other oh, girls oh. decided to call her a witch uh, in order to save themselves. Yeah, that probably ended that real quick. Pretty much. Wow. So it is, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's a very sad story story um there was also you had the 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 warfare going on with the indians with the abenakis okay. and it's interesting how many of these young girls had been orphaned because of the indian attacks and they had watched their families be butchered um, they'd watched little kids be hacked into pieces and their parents murdered and they ended up living in other people's homes in Salem, like Mercy Lewis um, was taken in by the Proctor family and was basically a, kind of a maid to everything. Right. So they're already dealing with hysteria. They were living in these yeah. very uncertain times. You, I mean, you're surrounded by woods. You never knew when an Indian attack was going to happen. Yeah. They had a watchtower right there in the middle of Salem Village to keep an eye out for Indians coming in. So these girls, and again, it was amazing how many of them that were the girls that cried out against other people had been involved some way or another in, in witnessing these Indian attacks. Yeah, that, that you would think, okay, something in their psyche was damaged, which, of course, it's not only that you lose your family, it's the way you lose your family. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, I, you would think that absolutely it had to have affected them on a psychological level. I mean, I don't care how, even if you had a family that took you in, still, uh, and like you said, you always had that that threat that any minute now, you know, you could end up the same way. Yeah, we sometimes lose sight of how dangerous it was to live in those times. Well, and then when you couple that with the just the um, oppressed atmosphere they lived in as Puritans, these girls were literally almost slaves themselves. They spent their whole day working or reading the Bible. Um, and this is a time when the hormones are kicking in. Right. 
So you're you've got this repressed, pent up feeling of that that age where you're wanting to go out and kick up your heels a little bit, and you're not allowed to. And then you've got the whole uh, Indian thing going on around you, which is a constant source of stress. You've got the um, reverend pitching hellfire from the podium, yeah. making you feel like you're going to burn in hell. I no mean, matter the, what. <laughs> no matter what. I mean, the, he, they would preach about what happened to little kids. If you talk back to your parents, you were told that you were of the devil and you're going to go to hell. And these weren't just empty words. These were things they believed in. So yeah. you're looking at a lot of repressed fear and anxiety. And when these girls realized, oh, my gosh, the adults are not only listening to me, they believe me, mm -hmm. it ran away with them. They got out of doing chores. They were carted around like superstars. They actually put them in carts and took them to neighboring towns for them to point out other witches. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Oh. Yeah. I mean, this was like, hey, this is pretty neat. <laughs> I imagine those towns must have been like, hey, uh, I think I'm not. I'm going to go take a walk to the other neighboring village. You know who's coming over? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Talk about stress, right? Well, I think what was the most upsetting is it might have been fun to start with but when they saw them actually hang Bridget Bishop who was the first one wouldn't you have stopped exactly that's what I'm saying oh my word that's the part that I'm thinking that these kids they were like didn't any of them say okay this is not a game people are dying and well, like you mentioned, it may have been too late to turn back. I mean, do you, can you imagine the ramifications at that point if they'd said, "Okay, sorry, we we were just make we were making it up." Well, at that point, I could very easily see where they think we they might turn and tell us we're the witches because look at what we did. Right. So, and and now let me. Were there any hauntings afterwards from any of these events? Oh yeah, the uh, second. In all of my books, the, the three-quarters of the book are about the history. Mm -hmm. And then the last section is on hauntings, paranormal activity that is happening today. And there are ley lines that go underneath Salem. And it's not unusual to find a lot of paranormal activity associated with ley lines because they're basically energy sources under the earth. Yes. Stonehenge is built where two ley lines cross, so are the pyramids of Giza. Um, so there was, there's a lot of activity in, in Salem on Essex Street, which is the main street going through there where the judges' houses are, where the right. witch house is. Um, so yeah, in the book, I list all of the places there that have a lot of haunted activity, whether they're restaurants or bed and breakfasts. Okay. Um, so that was that was fascinating to me. I think there's an awful lot going on there. Right, because sometimes you think, okay, like you said, there's a lot of tourism built up around it, but I'm thinking there's got to be another layer of true hauntings going on with what happened or with whether it's a residual or an intelligent. And they have nothing to do with the, with the tourist aspect of it. All right. Um, well, no, it, this will this will interest you. Um, okay. One of I, I like I mentioned I interviewed a lot of people and uh, Barbara Bridgewater Mendez had just purchased the John Proctor house, which is pretty amazing. Okay. It's standing and um, 
even though the the son John Proctor's son Thorndike has refurbished it I believe it's still built on the same cellar has the same fireplace one of the right. beams has been dated to 1692 on the fireplace mantle okay but um so while I was interviewing her for the book, she was telling me that, and they just purchased it last year. She said, we started staying the night there, and you could hear heavy boots coming up the stairs. Yeah, and these are wooden stairs. And mm -hmm. she said, if you don't think that's not scary, it sounded like heavy men's boots. Mm -hmm. And um, something pushed her daughter her daughter started getting nosebleeds. Um, they, wow. There was a piano there from a former owner. The piano would play at night. So yeah. I'm actually partnering with her. I'm going to be building a um, Salem witchcraft escape room in the okay. attic of the John Proctor house. And we're getting ready to start getting that put together next month. Oh, how interesting. So... I will let you know if yes. there are spooky things going on. Let me tell you something. And, and and imagine also, because sometimes I know that some of these historical places, especially the ones that have that have been built, you know, everybody thinks of the usual suspect as that original owner. But sometimes there's a lot of people that live in between that oh, they've sure. got their own uh sometimes very weird lives or things at life events but everybody always just looks at the the well-known historical figure like oh if it's gonna be a ghost it's gonna be so and so and you'd be surprised sometimes the people that live there what's gone on with them isn't that funny it's the same thing with reincarnation yes we must have been the queen of egypt we weren't gonna come back as the chimney sweep oh of course not really it's like <laughs> well see this is the thing i, I i'm a hypno well I haven't, I haven't been hypnotizing people for a long time, but I lit, I did a lot of past life regression, reincarnation, all of this. And um, a lot of people, I would tell them, you know, they came back with expectations. Oh, I know I've lived this in this period of time because I love this period of time. And I would tell them, I said, I'm not saying you didn't, but let's, don't be surprised if that's not what comes up. I said, usually what we do is we try for you to see something that one of two things either is has meaning for you now or two, that you can handle it. And people say, well, what do you mean? I Well, because sometimes, uh, especially once you go in deep enough, basically you are seeing like a movie and it's not you, but it is you. And sometimes people had horrific events happen to them and you will not regress to a time period or uh, a lifetime that you mentally couldn't handle even though i can i could pull you out and say this is like in other words like a movie but it's still very difficult but yeah you'd be surprised how many people like you said expect that they were somebody important or significant historically significant or well known and uh, the majority of the times, uh, nope, not at all, not at all. Sometimes people have really boring um, lives. <laughs> I'm I'm six foot two inches tall, which is very tall for a lady. Yes, yes. And one of my ancestors is Mary, Queen of Scots, and okay. she was six feet, and wow. that was almost unheard of back then. Yes, yes. 
And I've had all these dreams where I am walking inside a castle, looking down at my bare feet and out through the windows. And that's as far as the dream ever goes. And I always wondered, what is that? So wouldn't that be funny? Well, it's but, um, usually when I pull somebody into past life, it's really funny when you say that, into a past life that basically part of the process is that you put somebody like if they're floating and then you're floating down. And one of the first things I ask them to look at is I say, look at your feet. Because this is one of the things that people sometimes in their mind, because obviously, you know, you get to the point in, 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 in hypnosis where I'm telling you, look, but your eyes aren't looking. And sometimes it's really difficult for some people, but they're trying to look with their eyes, even though their eyes are closed. So you get them to the point, and when huh. you say, look at your feet, that's the first thing they notice about who or where they're at, what they're that's wearing on their feet. You know, boots, sandals, um, God, bare feet, uh, men's men's feet, let's say if you're a woman or vice versa. Hmm. You know, it's like the first thing of, okay, you're letting go of this assumption of who you are now, as in your identity now. And then you take it from there, and then you, you know, you know, go process them through what's going on there. But when you said that, that's that's unusual because that's usually what I tell them. Look down and tell me what you see. What, what are you wearing? Do you have any shoes on? Is and that's that, and Then they start describing what they see. All I see is the bottom of a long white gown and my bare feet. And I know I'm walking on castle stones and I'm looking out through arched castle windows and I can see... Um, just these green rolling hills and it's it's almost twilight and so the trees are starting to turn into dark silhouettes and then I wake up. And you, it is a color dream, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. People don't realize how many dreams we have that where there is no color. Really? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I don't remember a time I didn't dream in color. Yeah. There's a lot of times we don't dream in color. We just, as a matter of fact, that's why when we have these vivid dreams with color, we remember them like, wow, I had this really vivid dream. But yeah, we don't. A lot of times we don't. But yeah, stuff like that. Well, and you know what? That you might, that might be a tie-in. You know, we, there, there's, um, there's a theory among people that do past life regressions that there's what they call basically genetic memories. You know, that either you reincarnate within your genetic line or that you under hypnosis can remember memories from your genetic lineage. Uh, that's possible too. Uh, and, and that's really interesting. Okay. Well, how long, how often have you had that dream? Like for a long time? I haven't had it in the last five years before that. It was a couple of times a week. Really? Wow. Yeah. The thing that, that's always haunted me, pardon the pun, is I've always had a feeling of being trapped. And I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't think of one time in my life that I was ever trapped in a, you know, a box or a small, I actually am fine in small places. I love the dark. Right. And I had a, a hypnotist once. Um, I said, can you find something? Maybe it was before I was three or four, but I keep having this sense of being trapped, almost to the point of having a panic attack. Okay. Couldn't find anything. So I know I'm taking this too far, but when I thought of Mary, Queen of Scots, she was imprisoned for, was it 18 years? Um, 
I can't even imagine not being let out and having someone else have the power over unlocking that door. And I thought, huh, maybe it's that. <laughs> it could be. Well, I don't know. It, I can't ever, I've never been able to find out where this comes from. Well, you know, I also work sometimes with people that would, they, they would have what fears or phobias. Fears, you know what it is. I'm, I'm afraid of dogs. Why? Because when I was a kid, I got bit by a dog. Okay. That's, you know, now why you have that fear. Right. Phobias are when you have afraid of something and you can't understand why am I afraid of this? I never had a prior experience with this, uh, that I can remember or my parents, you know, nobody's ever told me when you were a child or a baby, this happened, but you still have the phobia. And then that's when you go into hypnosis and then you sometimes it is something from a past life that carries over. And um, there was one story that I heard because I used to work also a lot with people to quit smoking. And there was um, one time it was it was something having to do with people that had problems, in this case, stopping smoking and past life. And the story was that they this hypnotist had a client, same thing, couldn't stop. The person would slow down because depending on how much they smoke, you kind of cut them down to before you make them go cold turkey. But well... This client, there was just no way they could get this guy to stop smoking. It was like, and this person wanted to. Finally, the hypnotist said, well, let's do a past life regression and see maybe we can find out if the problem is there. And I can't remember exactly. How, it wasn't that far back historically, but it was a point in time where uh, execution was by shooting. You know, you would be, get shot. And this man, he saw himself as a prisoner of war. And he was being let out to be shot. And you know how they say, do you want your last cigarette? Like the last smoke. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he was caught up on this. My last smoke was after I finish this, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. Huh? So this was what was holding this person in place with not being able to quit smoking because... Wow. They still had that hook in them of... As long as I keep smoking, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm alive. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So sometimes you will see past life um, events or traumas that bleed over into this life for for behavior or, pho or phobias that people are like, I, I can't understand why. And I don't know, did, back, I want to say in the 80s, I don't know if you ever read that book, Many Lives, Many Masters. No. Okay, this 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 was um, this was a psychiatrist back in the eighties. He's a matter of fact, he was down in South Florida. He graduated from the University of Miami, very, very well respected psychiatrist who hypnotized a patient because she had a lot of phobias. She had gone to different types of um, therapists; nothing worked, and he hypnotized her, trying to take trying to take her back into a younger age. He was trying to find out what is the root of her problem. And he's thinking maybe something in childhood, very early childhood. And it just so happens that when he starts, she starts going into previous lifetimes. And huh. the, the book details how initially he says he was a total skeptic. And he even thought that she was making stuff up when he took her beyond or in, in, in hypnosis beyond being in her mother's womb to a past life. He thought at some point that this was just her making things up. So he was thinking, okay, eventually this is like a big knot. We'll unravel it. 
uh, long story short, it, it, the, the, the whole book basically details how he came to the realization that what she was describing. And she gave enough details about who she had been in prior lives that she real, he realized that this was um, an actual regression into a past life, not her making stuff up. And the good thing, or that also was convincing that the problems she had come to him for once she went through that past life, she saw it, they disappeared. The things so that, there was closure. There was closure. Things that she had gone through, therapy, medication. Well, he was a psychiatrist, which means that he could, you know, prescribe. This lady was a troubled woman, and she had had like a, years and years of, uh, you know, a lot of problems. And once she went through certain lifetimes, that's it. They cleared up. That's amazing. Yeah, that was back in the 1980s. That was a, a really interesting book. But yeah, there's, uh, and if you speak to a lot of, well, not speak or read about a lot of psychiatrists and mental health counselors that work with hypnosis, this is how they stumble onto past life or attachments or things like that. Just happenstance. They're hypnotizing their client just for, you know, to relax them, trying to discover, you know, what it is that you've got in your head that you don't remember consciously, but it's there. And then it just takes off. And they themselves have a hard time coming to accept that whole past life. And as a matter of fact, when I was practicing, I would have a lot of people that would ask me, is reincarnation real? Is that for real? I said, look, I don't know. It might be, it might not be, but I'll tell you what, it works. <laughs> there are a lot of people that not right away, because sometimes it takes a while, will go through a certain lifetime where certain things, dreams, bad dreams, phobias, or certain behaviors, they're corrected after they view that lifetime. Now, that is really, that's really fascinating. Now, can you say, was it, uh, uh, is, did you, were you really that person? Because that's the thing. What you were talking originally, the majority of people have uh, there were people that nobody made records of. Sometimes, especially if it was, a, you know, a while back, you were, a, a, you know, one in the sea of how many millions and billions of people that have lived. Right. You know, sometimes you might be able to find a record of somebody, but more often than not, there was no record of who you were. You know, um, there were for many years, people would have children at home. There would be no registered births. Most people, if they kept family records, it was like the family Bible, you know, that they would write it in there. Like uh, the child was born to so-and-so, but sometimes it would even be years. If, if they even registered it at, um, you know, like, a, like the equivalent of vital statistics for us, like the town center. And sometimes- Our census records, yeah. Yeah, then even then, a lot of it was inaccurate. Buildings burnt down. Records got swept away in a flood. But that doesn't mean it's not real. As far as proving it, you know, every once in a while you'll have somebody that did have some type of link or lifetime to something that can be researched. But more often than not, not really. Not really. Uh, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen or it didn't exist. And like I said, the proof is the outcome the benefits or the results usually are positive. Like Absolutely. I, and I sometimes awesome. a lot of people don't understand. Well, like when, what you were saying originally, I'm, I'm positive. I lived during the, I was a Southern bell, whatever. Let's say for example, and 
You won't, I'll regress you and you won't ever go there. And people say, well, I'm positive. If something really traumatic, if, if, and that's the if, if you did live during that time period, maybe it wasn't the lifetime that you expected. You weren't Scarlett O'Hara, you know, running off with Rhett Butler, you know, who knows what your life was, was like. Or maybe something happened to you during that lifetime that was very, very traumatic that right now you could not handle seeing it. How does cell memory factor in? I've heard of that too, that cell memory is almost something like genetic memory in a way. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard of people that have done the transplants of, of organs, That's eyes, what, yeah. exactly. um, hearts. Nowadays, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they harvest and I've heard read a lot of documentation about that a lot I totally believe in that suddenly you've got a craving for food that you never had before yes and you have these memories yes. that you didn't have before that mm -hmm. would be very hard I think to separate that from reincarnation is it reincarnation or is it cell memory even passed down through the womb Exactly. I mean, look at all the cells that we inherit from our parents. Of course, of course. And this is the thing. A lot of these people have had these experiences, never knew who they had their transplants from. In other words, there was no expectation of, in their subconscious mind, that, oh, I got these this heart from this person. And no, right? they find a out A lot of times they, they don't even know. They don't know. And as a matter of fact, a lot of them investigate it after they start having these experiences or behaviors or um, some of them I've heard, they act sometimes like the, they, it's not only like the foods, it's like sometimes even behavior itself. Yes. Will change. Yeah. And being able to suddenly play the piano. Right. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Or, you know, things like this that, okay, this person had no knowledge whatsoever exactly isn't that interesting i yes. love that stuff yes yes i love so, the mysteries of the universe i hope we never solve them all oh no of course not of course not then it would be boring well and, and a lot of times you know a lot of people will will tell me oh there's so many paranormal shows and ghost shows and i go don't you get why and it's like why i go because people are running away from technology <laughs> there's you know on one end we've got technology we're od on technology which has like it's so fast paced, it's increased very rapidly years, year after year. Um, what was it the other day? God, I can't remember what movie I was seeing. It was a movie that came out in 2001 and nobody used a cell phone. <laughs> Somebody, people were, and it was like, that was 2001, that was 20 years ago. You know, where people were using, you had, you had actually had public phones and the whole movie, people used public phones and or landlines hmm. and i knew that yeah their cellular phones were coming up but it's not like right now that everywhere you go everybody right. automatically public phones is like yeah the only place you're gonna find them is at an airport and i was like well that there's was your years there's ago. a there's your time travel i'll tell you when there's nothing more humbling <laughs> i was unpacking stuff and my my grown son was helping me and he held up an eight track tape he goes mom what is this i said never <laughs> Yeah. It's a bookend, okay? Let's just move along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like a VCR and cassette and, you know. 
even now, even DVDs. I mean, I mean, CD. Uh, we, me and my husband, we just bought a truck. There's no CD player there. Yeah. No, there's nothing there. All it is is the Bluetooth and you know, and stuff. But there's no, not even uh, a CD player. So this... I have, uh, I have nine grandchildren, and you know, to have them say, "Grandma, it's not rocket science. You just push that, 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 and that." I mean, and they're five years old, and I'm going, know, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, like, yeah, all right, quiet, you go sit over there. <laughs> yeah, excuse me while I call my four-year-old grandson to figure out the Wii system. Yeah, yes, they're they're, yeah. To them, it's like, well, when you're a kid, everything is easy. But yeah, it was like I was looking at that movie, and I just. And I looked, you know, when you stop and you click and it shows you what year the movie was made? Yes. yes. And it was like, that's 2001. Wait a minute. That was only 20 years ago. You know. I know. And it was like, and, uh, and even now when I see some of the older movies, you know, when they have the answering machines. <laughs> oh, and the fax machines. Yeah. Oh, the fax. Yeah. That was another thing. That was another thing in the movie that they, there was a part that was a, like a police, you know, and they facts the police thing came in through the facts and i was like whoa and they were like yeah all right oh, uh, well so yeah that. watching a, a ted bundy they finally they brought in these giant ibm computers when they were finally trying to correlate all the different states where he had been murdering girls and these mm -hmm. things took up the entire room these yeah. giant ibm computers yes and now, I mean, this was cutting edge back then. And now there's a, they're like a, the chip that you put them like in a thumb drive. Yes. But it's, it's an, it's incredible. And, and getting back to what I was saying that humans, their reaction to so much technology that's advancing, that everything is obsolete by the end of the year is the mysteries, mysterious stuff, paranormal stuff. Um, because I think that deep down inside, most humans are, are romantics <laughs> And uh, we, we always like to have that unknown, that question mark. It's like everything that's totally defined and explained and it's like, okay, but the what if? Well, I don't own a single piece of ghost hunting equipment other than a tape recorder that I use to interview people. And I have had more stuff happen to me. And I really think it's because I'm not trying. Oh, I don't sure. go around saying, give me a sign. Yes. Um, the thing, the really bizarre things that have happened to me were when I was focusing on something else. Um, yes. Limp Mansion in St. Louis is still, to me, one of the most haunted places on earth. I've heard gunshots in the hallway. I've had wow. something kick the bed and sit, sit on my feet. Oh, um, Rebecca. Yeah, and that, try that when you're there all by yourself. I was going to um, say, were you by yourself? I was, I, and not just by myself. I had the entire mansion to myself. And this place oh. is gigantic. Vincent Price used to stay there. He was friends with one of the limps. Wow. Um, it's an amazing, amazing place. But... The thing is, the point I'm making is I don't, they're not on parade. It's not on demand, show up, yes. show me, you know. I believe that they reach out through our minds for one thing. You can have five people standing there and all five will experience something different. One might see an apparition, but the other person doesn't. I've gone through, there's this old castle in Denver and I went through with a friend, and the guy was showing us around. He opened this bathroom door, 
And the smell of lilacs was so overwhelming, it was almost made you nauseous. It was like somebody wow. had just poured out an entire bottle of lilac perfume. And I went, whoa. I said, is that an air freshener? And he looked really uncomfortable. He quit talking. My friend's going, what? I said, you don't smell that? She said, no. I said, how can you not smell that? She didn't smell it? <laughs> and it, yet when I looked at this guy for confirmation, he's fidgeting and he couldn't get us out of there fast enough. And the impression I had was he knew all about it, uh -huh. that this wasn't the first time. And it just, it bothered me that she didn't smell it. But I've heard that a lot from yes. other people that... Yes. I, I believe that these spirits imprint things onto our minds the way they imprint voices onto a recorder. Look yes. at the people who take a photograph, and while they're taking it, they don't see anything. But when they get the picture back, they see it. Oh, yes. Or like they're trying to get an EVP. They don't hear the answer then. It's only when they play it back. Well, same thing. So you have I think, two people take a I picture. I believe that they're imprinting things upon our mind, not necessarily that we're seeing them with the senses that we're used to. Yeah, well, some people are just are more receptive. They're a better conduit. And, um, you know, I, I was doing paranormal investigations, I tell everybody, since, in, in the 90s, since the 90s, when we didn't have all these, all the crap that they have. I'm going to say crap. You know, I call it the dungeon. <laughs> the dungeon of way of doing things and by I said that I meant it was like exactly like what you said this was before there were you know all the FLIR cameras and the you know basically it was cameras and like I tell everybody before digital when you had to pay money to process the film uh and your senses and sometimes if you like you said you had a recorder but that was about it and a lot of times things would happen. It's, it's a matter of fact, and I, I think part of this thing now with all these equipment is that in the effort of trying to produce proof, but I, I totally agree with you when you're not expecting it or when you're not trying or when you're just sitting there observing very quietly, but not running three million things, you know, whether it's all these gadgets that they got or the cameras and that camera over there, you get a lot of phenomena that will be captured and you sometimes you don't see it till afterwards. Or, you know, contrary to what people say, it's the camera or the recorder or something will not capture it, but you, and, I, and, and I'll say, your body, after a while, you know when something's coming about to happen. If you're, you know, yes. if you're awake. There's something yes. that you recognize and you're like, and you might not register it on equipment, but you know it. People sometimes forget how important the human body is as an instrument when they do these type of, you know, these experiences. Uh, well, we're, we're a walking energy field. Yeah. I mean, the fact that your heart, which has a larger electromagnetic field than your brain, mm -hmm. your heart sends out a magnetic field that goes out three feet. That's why people very often can sense that someone is evil Yes. Or can sense someone with a good spirit, you just naturally go, you give off a really neat vibe. Where do you yes. think you're picking that up from? The other electromagnetic field goes out eight feet. That's why it's actually kind of hard to sneak up on someone and actually scare them because you feel that shift in that energy. I don't know about you, but nine times out of ten, I whirl around before they get to me. 
Yeah, or or that same thing of what we talk about when you feel somebody staring at you. Yes. Yeah, you look up and there is somebody staring at you from maybe exactly. even across the room. Yeah. We doubt our, the, I mean, we have such extraordinary powers. When they say we haven't used 10% of what we're capable of, I, that's what, I don't know, I'm not going to say it gets me angry, but it bothers me that so many people aren't open to all of the things that we don't know yet. Oh, and course. to the possibilities that they exist. I mean, look at UFOs now. You've got military, the big brass, coming forward with redacted information that they're finally saying, okay, they're here, they've been here for a really long time. And so that I think that's what's going to happen with the paranormal field. Once we understand it better, whether it's parallel dimensions mm -hmm or whatever it turns out to be, um, you're going to have a lot of people apologizing to, to all the paranormal kooks out there that oh, are saying they exactly. do exist. Well, like you said, look how long it's taken the government to kind of... And even then, all they say is UFO as an unidentified flying object. They're not ever saying it's extraterrestrial. All they're right. saying is, you know, we're investigating. But even then, they're like, ah, they don't want to, you know, go out any further on the limb than that. Um, you're a fascinating lady. I always enjoy talking uh, to likewise, you. Likewise, yes. I love it. Which, one of the things also I wanted to ask you about was that you told me that you were now going to start working on a book about Versailles. I'm actually almost finished. Um, I want to ask yeah, you something real quick. I want to ask, and I don't know if you included it. Did you include anything about those two ladies that had that time slip? You know I did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. You think I'm going to let that go? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that the is... Jordan and Morberly, Morberly, that was unbelievable. It's yes. one of the few documented evidences we yes. have of a time warp. But they, uh, yeah, they, in 1901, actually were headed for the Petit Trianon in uh, Versailles and interacted with Marie Antoinette and some of the guards from that period. And... Yes. Um, the thing that's fascinating is now that I'm interviewing people, it turns out that wasn't the only time that this happened, that there have been other people who have gone there and had the same thing happen to them, where they wow. slipped through that time warp and saw the same thing, saw people in clothing from you know 1789, um, which is when they were captured, Marie and um, Louis the Sixteenth were captured and beheaded. Right. It seems to all be right around that period. Okay. So it's it's yeah it's it's exciting. Um, people have reported ghosts of Benjamin Franklin because he did visit yes. Versailles during uh, Louis the Sixteenth's reign. Um, so the story, I mean, Versailles in itself without the ghosts is something right. you just can't believe. Uh, the poisonings, the scandals. The, it's just... Well, yeah, no, they was like the the French court, which is, of course, this is where, I mean, and uh, Louis the Fifteenth, you know, the Sun King. I, I mean, all these people, they behind those, uh, you know, they, the the circumstance and the pomp and everything. There was a lot, a lot of drama going on inside well, that I palace. Well, I think when that the TV series came out, Versailles, mm -hmm. um, I think it really got people fascinated with and to be honest it stayed pretty true to what actually happened i was very impressed oh yeah that was I, a lot I of like nudity that. in there but um <laughs> right well i know that they you know they, they, they gotta like but yes the um 
they, they there was a lot of um how can i say it you know decorum supposedly that you had to have at court but that that's really not what was going on behind the scenes and you know the closer oh, yeah. you were to the king the you know basically the more pull you had in the outside oh, world. yeah that's it that's where the poisonings came in it was called the affair of the poisons it lasted five years to where nobles were knocking off other nobles mm -hmm. to climb the ranks or to get their inheritance early right um, i actually bought a poison ring after researching this and you just flip it in the little it, it opens and reveals a hidden compartment you can put arsenic in there and literally walk by, flip that open, dump it in the drink and keep going without breaking stride. And all of these people were dying. Right. So and the, the scandals that went on in that court are just unbelievable. And every the manipulations, you were never safe. You never knew who was trying to undercut you. And what I wouldn't was have it um, also, there. what was it the... Um... That lady, she was, uh, I, I, I believe she was, I, I want to say she was Louis XV's, um, one of his mistresses, and... Pompadour or Dubarry? No, it wasn't Dubarry, it was Pompadour, and that, that she was going to a lady that was like a seer, and this lady, she, what was her name, Le Voilan, something like that. Oh, that was um, that was Madame de Montespan. With, okay, Montespan. With Louis I'm sorry. The okay. Yeah, with the Sun King. Okay, I'm, 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 yeah. That it, it's a lot of Louis, Marlene. <laughs> no, it's a lot of Louis, man. And they were all like, man. <laughs> and that that was that's a that's, you know, basically this person. If if you go by what's true, well, what's true versus what what was actually written, she was. Uh, Killing children, and I mean, that was a pretty horrible type of thing going on there. They, you know, I thought when I saw that in the TV series, that didn't happen. It actually did. Yeah. Uh, they didn't kill the baby, but they cut it because the blood was supposed to uh, be used in this aphrodisiac. She was trying to enhance Louis XIV's passion for her because she thought he was slipping away from her. Right, right. And all your power lay in being... The mistress to the king. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating, but it is funny. I mean, I thought you, you the, the reason they had monikers like the sun king or the God given or the beloved was they were all Louis. It was the only way you could keep track of them. Yes. And I'm thinking, you know, there's other letters in the alphabet. <laughs> no, but it was, you know, it was you've like... got Louis the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and a lot of them named their daughters Louise. Louise. And I'm just like, ah. No, yeah, it was in the, they were, um, yeah, in, in, in that Versailles, I mean, when you read it, you realize um, that sometimes it was very sad because especially these princesses, they would ship them off to these countries when they were very young. Basically, oh, they would be married, but I mean, they wouldn't consummate the marriage till they were older, but they would be basically taken away from their parents when they were children and they were brought up in the court of the country another of country mm -hmm. yeah they were political marriages very often to seal a treaty deal yes. or a negotiation it was i'll give you my daughter to marry your son and yes. um i'm just i was just writing about that with louis the 15th the little girl that was pledged to him was only five right and at the time he was 15 14 or 15 and they right. realized 
look, he can't wait around for her to get older. We need to get him going here. We need an heir. Exactly. And they sent her back to Spain, but she was the first one that was engaged to him, and she was literally five years old. Yes, because there was nothing worse than not having a Dauphin. Uh, uh, that uh. was the only reason. <laughs> no, really. If you didn't it have was. an heir, it was it was bad times. It was very... It You're was... very well-versed on this. I'm impressed. I've... I've... I, I'm into the romance house. I'm only kidding. I read. I read. A, I've been reading. I think since I learned how to read, and you, I read a lot of different things, historical. You know, some. And, and I agree with you. Sometimes you have historical uh, fiction that's not very accurate, and then there's other stuff that's more accurate. Um, and I was going to ask you, did have you ever heard of the Scarlet Man? As far as the hunting at, well, he was in the Tuileries, but he's supposed to be something that was seen periodically throughout history uh, by different royal, you know, whether it was a queen or so-and-so, and basically seeing him was like something bad was going to happen. I did not hear that. That was at the Tuileries? Yes. Yes, and he's called... Okay, when the, you first mentioned the... him, I thought you were talking about the, the man in the iron mask. No. I will have to look that up. Look it up. It's the Scarlet Man. And some people describe him as a man. Some people describe him as an imp or like a devil. Huh. Um, and basically seeing him was... If you saw him, it was like, oh, oh. Yeah. So either... he was a harbinger of... Yes. Something yes. bad. Something's bad uh, was going to happen. Um, and people later on would say, uh, either something bad was going to happen to you, or for example, there was going to be a big fire. Something was going to happen. Something either to you or to the building, something, but usually the ones that saw it were people that were in the Royal family throughout history. As far as, That's the, bad. well, thank you. I will look that up. Yes. If I get, if I, if I find, I, book, I wrote I up, give uh, you credit. um, um also, well, it's like Giles Corey. Um, his ghost is supposedly seen every time something bad's going to happen to Salem. His ghost appeared really? when really? the big fire hit Salem. So I think he's he's been seen three or four times right before some disaster struck. Oh, boy. What was the last time he was seen? Do you know? I don't know. I think it's been quite a while. People still see his ghost, but... Um, it, they just found it interesting that when he did appear, something really bad was about to happen. Yeah, it's like, here you go. Yeah, because, um, because he put a curse. Didn't he put a curse on the ones that were involved in killing him? The sheriff, they said They said that, but I couldn't find that he actually said anything like that. The, the last words he said was more weight when they were crushing him to death. Right. Um, Bridget Bishop supposedly put a curse, um, and I, that that may be true. Actually, one of the places that she haunts um, is um, Turner's Seafood, which is right in the middle of Salem. Okay. And her apple orchard was supposedly there. I was about to so say, I imagine some of these places that were fields have been built on. I'm sorry? I imagine some of these places that were fields have been built on. Yeah. So. That's yeah. that's what's fascinating when you and they kind of wouldn't you love to and maybe you have that ability. I would love to be clairvoyant enough that when I'm walking around these historic places to be able to remove the modern buildings and see what it looked like then. 
Yeah, that, that, that's... I was writing about Lizzie Borden. I was thrilled that there are so many places that are still extant, that they are still standing. You can go stay in them. Right. Yes. Um, that's not always the case. No. But well, there are a lot in Salem that are still standing, which is awesome. Well, they've yeah, they've, they've done a pretty good job of con the conservation of the original buildings as much as possible, which is sometimes... You know, they they basically, I, I've seen a lot of places, like you said, torn down. Uh, and that's it. Once it's gone, you know, you go there and there's a holiday in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's very spooky here. <laughs> well, that's when they found that, when they um, finally found the location where the hangings took place at Salem at Proctor's Ledge. It's a little surreal because you're standing there and if you look over your shoulder, you are literally standing in a Walgreens parking lot. There you go. Yeah. See. So it kind of takes away from it. Sure. Of course. Of course. But at the same time, a lot of, you will have people that will be, um, living in a new house or a new building and they'll start having paranormal experiences. And they're like, oh, yeah. and the, the, the source, the origin is what happened on that piece of land prior to the, the building there. Uh, and the minerals in the ground, they actually record things like the yes. stone tape theory. Um, all of these castles, and you wonder why so many castles report seeing these things. It's like a residual loop, like the monk, the hooded monk appears at point A, walks across right. the ground and disappears into point B. Same thing right. every time he doesn't deviate from right. it. Well, what they found was the stone in these castles had flintstone and quartz, and quartz is used in radio transmitters and receivers. Right. So, so they what they believe is that when some, especially a tragedy, something quick, and that explosion of energy is released from the human body, that these stones can actually receive it and play it back under certain circumstances. A lot of people believe the Stanley Hotel is as haunted as it is because of all of the different minerals. It's literally built on a tunnel. You can go into the tunnel and see the tree roots and the side of the cliff. So yeah, I I think I think land can be every bit as haunted and playback scenes and other things as a building can. Right. That and that, that and a lot of times what that's what they consider the residual haunting, which is there's no intelligence there. Exactly. It's just like a loop. And yeah. if you're sensitive, you'll see it. Or sometimes it's sometimes even weather conditions will affect it being seen or witnessed. You know, you'll have people that say, you know, you have stormy weather, uh you know, you get more, or sometimes if it dovetails with the circumstances of that haunting. I mean, there's a lot of things that produce phenomena. Sometimes, and then other times, nothing happens. Well, can I share one thing with you real of quick? Course, and I know yes. time's up. What I really found fascinating was the crop circles. Um, why they were appearing so much in southern England, mm -hmm. especially around Stonehenge. What they're finding. And this blew my mind. They did a topographical kind of a sonar map where most, where 95% of the crop circles appeared right beneath them in the ground were chalk fields. And the chalk absorbed water. So it became a natural aquifer. And water is a conduit for electricity. Yes. 
And so they believe that it wasn't an accident that these the, the biggest cluster of crop circles were happening right there where there were more there was more energy. Also the ley line was there. So you coupled the the Earth's natural energy with right. the aquifer, with the water conduit. I just that blew my mind. I mean you you should they the map showed all the dots and yes. The rest of that land right there, the stretch to the north by Stonehenge, didn't have the chalk under it. And there was only one or two crop circles. When you got down to that layer of chalk, it was like, holy moly. It was it's just a ton of them. That's not an accident. I think that's really cool. Well, and, and you again, you know, we come back to, you know, these were Iron Age. I think they dated them back more or less to that time period. How did these people sometimes build and haul these stones and erect them and yes. uh, line them up sometimes, you know, so accurately? And 300-ton stones, some yeah. of them. And it's like, come on, you know, how did these people do this? Um, they've uh, even found other of Stonehenge kind of things buried. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think to myself, and I tell everybody, you know, back then, you survived on a day-to-day -day basis, hunting, gathering, you know, in other words, it wasn't like now, you know, you go into the kitchen and I'll open up a can of soup and I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> Back then, you, right. You, you had to, every day was, uh, whether, and you, let's say you were in a community, if the thoughts were survival, you know, we have to either go to the crops or go hunting. So the point being that for you to pull off people, men, I imagine mostly, the manpower to do this, it had to be important because these were human efforts that would be taken away from gathering food, hunting food, producing food to go and do this. It had to be extremely important, extremely important. Good for you. I think that's the first time anybody has, has posited that. That's really good. Oh, thank you. No, I, I, I you know, we, we in modern times, people don't realize especially um, the cyclical nature where when the snow came, you know, you had to have enough food to take you through the winter, whatever, whatever it was, whether it was grain or meats or whatever. So you spent the, especially let's say, let's go, let's go to England, to United Kingdom. Over there, it's rainy and cold and the winters are harsh, especially if you were living out in the field. So when you when those months opened up for you to gather and make food or grow food or whatever you were going to do, you were going to do it because if not, you were going to starve come the winter. So for you, for them to pull away people, men, to drag a stone around, let's say, and that, that we still haven't figured that out. God, that that's to me is the one that I'm like, how did they do that? How did they we need do to that? do another show where we talk about that because yes. I am really been studying the pyramids of Giza and I do believe they were actually generators for sound um, oh I love talking to you likewise it's been great <laughs> it has been fantastic I love talking to you because when, when is by the way when is is when is the Versailles book going to be coming out it's supposed to come out in the next six weeks so I'm hoping okay. by mid-April I'm, I'm heading over to Salem the end of March to start planning out the escape room but um, okay. I'm hoping mid-April it'll be released okay and you're gonna have that available um, 
Should they go to your website or is it going to be on Amazon? It'll be on Amazon. Um, then go to my website, www.rebeccaf, as in Frank, Pittman, books.com. Okay. All the books are there. Um, I have a Lizzie Borden paranormal card game that's for sale there. Okay. So uh, I just, I appreciate you always being so kind with your no, time and having me on. You're a wonderful guest and I wish you the best of luck and we'll be talking soon, Rebecca. All right. And if you need any bubble wrap, let me know. Oh, God. That's a bad word. Bad girl. Bad girl. Bad girl. Bad girl. <laughs> Thanks, Marlene. Stay no. safe. You too, sweetheart. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Wow. She's a great lady. I loved interviewing. As a matter of fact, I'm really happy that I scheduled her um, for my first for my first guest in 2021 let me tell you anybody that's why when, she, when i said bad girl when she said bubble wrap because she moved but she moved 15 minutes away from where she lives and it was like if anybody says the word moving to me i'm gonna punch him in the mouth <laughs> oh wow i mean i've moved folks i have moved during my lifetime but usually it was in the same city you know yeah you rented you know a u-haul truck or you hired somebody and yeah, with a couple of days, that's it. You were done. Yeah, you packed and unpacked. It was a hassle, but there's nothing, nothing like moving a six-hour drive. I don't. I I can't even see when people leave and go to another state. It's like, but it doesn't matter. Wow. Uh oh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, it's like, <sighs> yeah. Talk about. Um, Learning experience, yeah. It's all. It's almost this kind of thing where you know that that saying about ignorance being bliss. Because I think if I would have known what was coming my way, I wouldn't have moved, or I wouldn't have moved. It, it's almost like, and then once you're there, once you're once you're in the middle of it, it's like, huh, what is this? But it's like, okay, you gotta get keep going, keep going, and um, go through the whole. I'm still unpacking boxes. And as you can tell behind me, I don't even have a decoration up because I haven't had time uh, because I'm unpacking boxes. And I was telling her, I just, as a matter of fact, today I closed down a storage, um, a storage unit that I had here where I moved into that was luckily like a couple of blocks away from where I moved to. Uh, okay, it's like, I'm not moving from this place. I'm not. Mm. Let me not tell paper. No, I'm not. Mm, no. Mm, nope. But anyway, let's, I hope you enjoyed listening to Rebecca, you know, that, that, um, that new book that she comes out. She's, she's got several books and I don't know if you saw the, the slides are for you, for those that are listening on podcast, she's got several books, uh, about hauntings, about the historical aspects of different, like the Lizzie Borden house. And, uh, and one thing about Rebecca is she, she does her research which is what we were talking about. You know, you see, for example, the same thing with the Salem witch trials. I'm sure everybody's seen or heard some documentary about the Salem witch trials and everybody knows about the Salem witch trials. And But how many ever go and say, a few years later, these girls admitted that they lied? I don't see it. Most people, it only goes as far as the outcome or when it stopped, like they said, when the governor's wife suddenly became one of the accused is when they said, uh, uh, okay, this is getting out of hand, stop it. And then it just stopped. And that's as far as it goes. 
And let me tell you something. I think it was a very valid question to think, how could that have happened? And could that happen again? Because to us, it's like, it's very obvious. How would be, who would believe a bunch of teenage girls or preteens, tweens, who are rolling around the ground and pointing the finger at somebody's a witch and and you think, well, okay, these were Puritan, you know, Puritans and they believed in the devil and the witches. Okay, okay, all right. But still, it's like, okay, didn't any of these people, nobody, um, what about your conscience? The thought that you might be accusing somebody that might be innocent. And then what she pointed out, which is that there was absolutely uh, a component of greed involved in it. And then later on, when they admitted that they had gotten carried away and that was a game, that there was no repercussions. Hmm. So yeah, and, and, and I hate to say it, but it's almost in a way like mob mentality that we think that could never happen. Who would fall for that? How could people get arrested and executed and crushed to death and have their, their, their homes and all their goods basically confiscated? That wouldn't happen right yeah you know what i once upon a time i'll tell you what it's february of 2021 about mm, 15 months or less at the end of 2019 i would have said no way no that could never happen that was because that was back in massachusetts yeah, forget it Massachusetts in the pre-colonial times and blah, blah, blah. And those people, they got carried away. Now, a year later, so many things have happened that I never thought could ever happen. I'm not so sure that what I considered impossible is impossible anymore. It's not. And... And the point I'm being is for people to, using the example of the Salem witch trials, that people think stuff like that only happened back then because superstition, uh, ignorance, uh, people that were religious zealots, uh, other that, that that could never happen now. There's a lot of things that have been happening in the last year, or so that I never ever ever thought I would live to see, and it's happened. And you might think, well, it's a different thing, Marlene. Yes and no. Yeah, it is different, but um, extreme changes as in our lifestyles and what's been happening now, stuff like that. That If somebody would have told me Christmas of 2019, that's a good jumping off point. Christmas of 2019. If somebody would have said, this is going to be happening, uh, people are... You're going to have to wear a mask to go everywhere. Uh, businesses are going to be shutting down for months and even now. I mean, everything that's come with it, everything, everything. It's like, because it's like a cascade effect. I would have said, no, no. What are you talking about? That's not going to happen. Nobody's ever going to go for that. Yeah. All right. Wake up, girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. When we look back at historical um, incidents and we think that could never happen again, be surprised things that can happen again. If not exactly the same, but things that you would think 
no way, no way. You know, what, what, what's that saying about that uh, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it? Hmm. Wow. But anyway, I hope you like uh, the interview with Rebecca. I urge you to go to her website, which I'll have a link in the credits of the show. Also, she can find her on Amazon. Uh, like I said, if you like paranormal books that are well-researched historically, in other words, it's not the fluff stuff. It's not the, oh, and there was a story, eh, but there's really no historical veracity behind it. If you're one of these people like, hey, I really want to know what happened either to this family, to this house, to this location, what was historically accurate, which a lot of times, I tell everybody because I'm, in, I'm a research buff myself, sometimes when you look at the truth, it's more disturbing than the stories that are circulating out there. Um, that, to me, that's great. I, I love the the ghost books where the history backs up what was said or contradicts it but explains it in a certain way that you say, now I get it. Wow, that's really what happened? Now, now I can see why, man, that place is haunted or why people see this certain whatever, whatever it is. Or maybe it's not... You know, the usual suspect, maybe the person that's really haunting it is this other person who, this is what befell them. So if that's, if that's your bag, baby, check it out. And again, thank you so much for being part of my audience once more. Uh, I've got, I have already my slew of um, people that I'm going to interview coming on. I'm going to be bringing back people that I interviewed before, which people love them. And also new people. Uh, and uh, again, if you have any uh, true stories that you'd like to share with me and you want me to, you know, like I say, if I will interview you. If you just want to email me the story, I will read it. If you want to be anonymous about it, uh, that's fine with me. If you want to just make a first, whatever the case might be. Again, it doesn't have to. It could be something that was told to you or it could be a family haunting or, I mean, in other words, I'm not, it's just a story. It, it, it doesn't need to be proof or explanation of why it happened or how it happened. Just a story. Get a hold of me. Go to Marlene at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can email me there. Go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Uh, and um, there's a Submit Your Story tab. I'm working on book number two of this, which is, whoop, there we go. Lady in the Blue Kimono. Okay, Film Noir Murders. I'm working on book two of this, which is, these are all uh, real true crime happenings, uh, true crime murders that happened between the, the 1920s to the 1950s, a lot of them the film noir. And if any of you are familiar with uh, the film noir films, which were the gumshoe, you know, Humphrey Bogart, you know, the, the femme fatale, you know, it's kind of fashioned after those years, uh, unsolved murder mysteries. Some of them were solved. Uh, some of them were quite, quite, um, disturbing to say the least. But anyway, I'm going to be working on, I am working on number two and I'm going to be releasing it this year and hopefully later on, on another, uh, Sybil Chronicle book in the Sybil universe that'll be going out. But again, I think the best of all is when I get emails from you guys with some story, whether it's short or long, whatever the case might be. 
don't forget about me. So again, thank you so much for being part of my audience. Take care. See you soon.